Welcome to this special Italian wine podcast broadcast. This episode is a recording off Clubhouse, the popular drop-in audio chat. This Clubhouse session was taken from the Wine Business Club and Italian Wine Club. Listen in as wine lovers and experts alike engage in some great conversation on a range of topics in wine. If you enjoy listening, please consider donating through italianwinepodcast.com. Any amount helps cover equipment, production, and publication costs. And remember to subscribe and rate our show wherever you tune in. This episode is proudly sponsored by Vivino, the world's largest online wine marketplace. The Vivino app makes it easy to choose wine. Enjoy expert team support, door-to-door delivery, and honest wine reviews to help you choose the perfect wine for every occasion. Vivino, download the app on Apple or Android and discover an easier way to choose wine. Good evening to everyone. This is Clubhouse Ambassadors Corner, and this is Joy Livingston, not Stevie Kim. Stevie is in Tuscany, <laughs> but I think I've heard she's she's going to be listening in. I'm, I'm taking over once again because her internet is a little spotty, so that would have that would have been uh, kind of weird if she suddenly cut out halfway through. So I'm doing this tonight with Laika, the clubhouse manager, who, I don't know if you're there, Laika, but um, <laughs> good evening to everyone. Tonight is the 18th edition, I believe, of the Clubhouse Ambassadors Corner. And tonight we have Artem Lebedev, who is going to be talking to Silvia Altare. So from the, the winery Elio Altare. Hi there, Laika. How are you doing? Hi, Joy. How are you? I'm good. Okay. (laughs) So we are very excited for today's clubhouse. Um, So Okay. I'm going to keep keep talking. I'm going to keep talking. Okay. (laughs) I haven't even had any wine. I'm like already, you know. (laughs) So um, as always, uh, this is a, a show. We do it on clubhouse and then it's recorded and later on, we release it on the Italian Wine Podcast. And we do this because not everybody is able to tune in when we when we do these shows live. They are usually every Thursday, usually, this is a special one, every Thursday at 8 p.m. CET, Central European Time. And um, yeah, definitely recommend it. It's awesome. We love it. It's actually really popular on the Italian Wine Podcast. So I'm hoping there's no snafus tonight, technologically speaking, because we're going to put this up. Let's see, what else can I say? I think that uh, I'm not going to uh, talk about uh, Silvia because I'm going to let Lebedev to go ahead and introduce her. Yes, definitely. But now we have Artem here um, in the show. So could you introduce Artem for us? Yes, I can. I realize I just addressed you by your last name. I do apologize. I just like saying it. So (laughs) all right, Artem, 30 years old, a wine professional who has been working in the wine industry for almost a decade, uh, born in St. Petersburg, and he'll be working in Europe for two years before settling down in Almaty, Kazakhstan. Uh, that's really cool. 
Artem is an ASI certified sommelier and a WSET diploma holder, a Sherry ambassador, a VIA Italian wine ambassador, the president of the Kazakhstan Sommelier Association, CEO of the annual contest of the best sommelier of Kazakhstan. Yeah, and co-owner and main lecturer at the Sommelier School in Almaty and the, the co-owner of the Wine Hub Import Project. So Artem, how are you? Are you there? Good evening, Joy. Good evening to everybody, and uh, thank you for uh, introduction of uh, of me. It was it was very good, and by the way, and I like the way you pronounce my surname. It's uh, Lebedev. Ab- Lebedev. A- it a- absolutely hundred so cool. percent correct. So so oh. thank thank you for introduction. <laughs> You're welcome, and that was a pleasure. I, I have a few questions before you go ahead with your interview. Um, can you? Tell us why you selected Silvia Altare as your favorite producer. Uh, yeah, yeah, of course. So uh, uh, I work with the vine more or less uh, eight years, and I visit, uh, of course, I visit a lot of uh, vineries, like dozen vineries, hundreds of vineries. And uh, for these eight years, one of the most memorable visit ever was visit to Elo Altare Winery, where I meet Silvia. So I think before I have uh, never seen such a such a. Um, uh, perfect example of the uh, of the person who are uh, who are like like a firework like a genius in inside inside the inside the region so i was very very excited to to meet her and uh, uh, and when i have an opportunity to choose somebody i first of all i thought about uh, about her oh okay Okay, and uh, tell us, um, what are the learning objectives? Because Stevie's all about the learning objectives that we should expect from the interview. Uh, for me uh, personally, the Barola region where uh, Silvia works uh, is like one of the best regions uh, in the whole world, in the whole wine world. And uh, for me, it's always interesting to know not only about the history or about the regulations or something else, but also about the uh presence uh, about the modern time so i would like to ask everything about what is barola today awesome okay and last question how did you discover the wines of elio altare like how did you first discover them first taste it and yeah, it, it, it's actually also very interesting and exciting story. I was uh, like a young vine specialist in the beginning of my uh, way. And uh, I, with my ex-wife at that moment, uh, were organized vine tours, vine trips to the different uh, top vine regions of the world. And uh, we have uh, already visited Bordeaux and Rioja and uh, Champagne and other regions. And uh, one day we decided to visit Piemont. Uh, And uh, of course, I decided to learn something about the region, to read about it, to go deep, to jump in uh, the theory. And uh, one day I discovered the video Barola Boys. Uh, the movie and I start watching it and realize the story about the traditionalists and the modernists of the uh, of the Lange area of Barola and uh, of course after watching this movie I fell in love uh, with the story and I uh, I was uh, like uh, all my dreams was to visit Elio Altare Winery to understand what is it Barola uh, now it was uh, like uh, I think five years ago uh, and uh, I write 
down the message to to Elio Altare email to the winery and I think uh, Silvia answered immediately like in one in the same day and uh, told me like yeah you are very welcome with your group please come and uh, when we come and when I heard uh, the story from Silvia and when I see her and when I tried the vines I fell in love with it, uh, especially with the Arborina vineyard. When I came back home after the visit, I read everything about Arborina. And uh, in my opinion, it's uh, like one of the most, you know, uh, one of the best uh, vineyards in the whole Barolo region. So this is the story. Cool. No, actually, uh, you said something, Barolo boys. I've never seen that. I have to go and, and check that out now. Yeah, it, it, it's amazing. Oh, cool. I, no, I will. I, I believe you. I'm going to check it out. But uh... my advice to everybody who think that they are like love Barola and Barola vines and Nibiola and etc. Okay. Okay. Well, I am going to um, now just say a quick hello to Sylvia before we hand, hand this over to you guys. Sylvia, are you there? I'm here. Ciao, everybody. Hi. Um, okay. Artem, um, Thank you so much. Uh, go ahead, and I'm going to mute myself now, and um, yeah, we'll talk to you after. If there's a little bit of time for questions, then we'll do that. Otherwise, we'll just uh, we'll accept questions via email and, and do it that way. But uh, this will end within a one-hour period, and um, so take it away. I'm eating up your time. Yeah, thank you, Joy. And now I think it's uh, time for me to uh, to introduce, uh, represent uh, Silvia. So Silvia Altare grew up in a family made famous by her father Elio, who in the mid uh, 1970s was one of the Barola boys, uh, what I, which I speak about, who dared to make wine more like the French Burgundians than the local uh, Piemontese of this time. Elio and uh, uh, Lucha's two children, Silvia and Elena, however, were never pressured to involve themselves with winemaking. And in the early 1980s, that was a future reserved for the boys. Growing up, Silvia participated in various aspects of wine growing and wine making with her family, but uh, often felt that she had to prove herself as a girl. And starting in uh, 19... Uh, 94, when she was uh, 15 years old, her parents sent her to live with a family in California for the summer. She attended the University of Economy uh, in Turin and studied international business, graduating in 2003. Her travels and work Harvests in California, Burgundy, and Australia led her to join the family estate after her graduation. Uh, so, Chiara Boskis, the first woman winemaker, woman winemaker in Barola, and one of uh, these Barola boys is Silvia's superhero. And uh, I think uh, Silvia will explain a little bit about it uh, later. So finally, she pushes the winery from her parents and sister in 2016, but is continuing the family-run structure and traditional approach to viticulture and winemaking. So the vineyards of uh, Elio Altare in Silvia's hands are cultivated without the use of chemicals and pesticides, and the vines are 
natural, simple and natural. She and her parents and uh, the small staff manage the vineyards, the cellar, the sales and the marketing. Uh, and uh, her father, Elio, still energetic and creative, enjoys mesmerizing visitors with the accomplishment of the Barola boys. So in total, there are 10 hectares estate produced about 70,000 bottles of which 80% is uh, exported. So this is more or less uh, uh, introduction to, to the winery and to Silvia. Uh, Silvia, I hope uh, that it, it was okay uh, and uh, please join us. So great introduction and now I feel like uh, everyone must have great expectations because you used uh, such high words for me and my family. I'm really excited to join this. It's my first time on Clubhouse and I'm a little nervous. I'm gonna press the wrong button. So I'll try to not shake my hands too much. Uh, put it that way. But ready to roll with a, a lot of questions. I'm super curious with what you'll have to ask. Yeah, I, I, I think you... You have not to be nervous because you are like a personality from the big, uh, big P. So my first question uh, is uh, that I, in one of your interviews, which I can found in the internet, you said that your father made a revolution, but you now are doing the evolution in inside the region, inside your winery. So could you please tell what this evolution, what what this evolution is, and uh, uh, is it easy for you to be like you know like a postmodernist in Barola because your father was modernist? So how can you explain? yourself so very good question and to be able to answer this question it took me some time I've been at the winery now about 20 years and I mean my father as many of the fathers of my of my friends my generation have been those among those guys that created what inspired the new generation to make what we do today so they really honestly contributed to the renaissance of the region so they are dressed as the revolutionaries um, is my generation, do we need to do any revolution? I don't think so. That's why I came up with that quote and I say that we are just the evolution. So it means I don't think we have to do anything crazy. For sure, we have to keep the quality a bit consistent every year. But there's always a margin of like change and improvement. I mean, we don't stay still. We don't say that nothing will change and nothing is not is going to change because then otherwise we would just be not moving ever. Um, but there's no need to change, sorry, something that works. And right now, what those guys created some years ago, which was completely innovative back then, today is not so innovative anymore. But there's always something that you can play with. There's always you know, new technologies, new equipments, new things you can focus on. But the main ideas don't change. That's what I mean by evolution. You stick to the main ideas of, you know, good, good farming, good grapes, clean cellar, a short maceration in my case, clean wines, wines that are drinkable while, while younger, but also ageable, so wines that can age. But there's always a margin of improvement. I recently read an email, um, sorry, not an email, um, an interview from Aubert de Villene from uh, DRC that is uh, leaving his uh, position to to the new generation. And that's interesting because he said something that, um, he said it with nicer words, <laughs> that uh, when you think you have arrived, that you've done the best, that you're the best, that's when things start going bad. 
we don't think we're the best. The revolution, it's something that always has to happen, but it doesn't have to be drastic. So that's why my generation is just the evolution generation. Uh, I would like to describe our style today as traditionally modern, if you allow me to play with words, because I'm still doing many of the things that I've learned from my dad, but I've, I've, I've added my, my own things. So that's why to be postmodernist, it, it's, it sounds crazy, but only 40 years have gone, but uh, things are changing. I'm open to try new things all the time. Yeah, that, 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 that's great. But, uh, you know, I um, uh, I also read that you have some connection with uh, Lafarge family from uh, Volnaire, I think. And they are like, I, I like these wines and I like their, their Burgundy style. So do you feel uh, the connection with Burgundy today? So do you, do you um, like your father, do you learn something from Burgundy to replace, uh, to, to, to take it to the Barola region to, to use? in um, in production of your wines well technically like you mean like in practical like winemaking um i would say no um but i've tasting i've been tasting and i taste and i travel to burgundy often and i still drink a lot of uh i mean during the pandemic who didn't start drinking even more so <laughs> i've concentrated on burgundy even more and you what i do get is i get inspired I get inspired and then you do a little research and then maybe next time I'm in Burgundy, I'll visit that winemaker. Uh, the things that I'm looking at what like to try new things is more when it gets to equipment, machineries, but we always don't have to, we always don't forget that they have a different variety. They have Nebbiolo, they have Pinot Noir, we have Nebbiolo, so different varieties. So we, we can't just do copy paste. We just get generically inspired and, I get inspired, like just like I just mentioned, reading an article from a man like Hubert uh, de Villain, which is so. I suggest to find this article. I might, I, I'll send you the link. It's a beautiful article about the new generation. So you always find a little piece of inspiration here and there. And Lafarge were one of the first families I visited with my dad when I was younger, and they really take a big spot in my heart. I love their wines and the family. Yes. Yeah, that sounds great. And uh, you know, for me now, uh, the uh, Lafarge, the vines of Lafarge and the vines of uh, Domaine de Villain, not like the DRC, but Domaine de Villain is uh, one of my favorite wines, which I try to drink uh, as much as possible. But uh, okay, uh, today we speak about the Barola. So let's go back to Barola topic. Uh, could you please tell about the uh, changes in the region, in the Lange area? What uh, was uh, not in childhood uh, and what you can find now and vice versa? So if we, if we even don't speak about the vine, just the changes in the region. Well, it's undeniable that we were sitting on a treasure and we we were not aware of it. And now we all know very well. So... If you ever come to Piemonte, to Barolo these days, you see beautiful, perfectly manicured vineyards that maybe look like a little bit abandoned in the past. Beautiful homes, nice hotels, fancy restaurants that even when I was younger, and I'm not so old, just so you know, we didn't have. So the region is extremely popular. So the popularity that Barolo's achieved, it's worldwide. So very few wineries 
back um, in the 40s and the 50s and the 60s were exporting. And Barolo was obviously not a popular wine. It was probably famous among Italians that would drink it uh, on a special occasion, a Christmas or Easter. But Barolo these days is famous all over the world. So what do we get today? We get visitors from all over the world. And the region is ready to host all these people. So there's a lot of things that you can do. Sometimes we, we're getting to an extreme these days. Like um, when I was a kid, you you didn't see electric bikes or balloons. You could Now you can ride a balloon over the vineyard. So it's getting a little too touristy, maybe some days I think. But the the let's be let's speak frankly. The money that has come to the region through through Barolo, through the tourism, through the restaurants, it has been reinvested in the region itself. The farmers, the locals have reinvested in the region. So if you come here now, it's just beautiful. It looks like, and you people that don't know the, st- the history or the story, they might think it was always like this, but it wasn't. Um, maybe I'm the generation that hasn't seen the poor days, the poor times, but my dad tells me stories that right after the Second World War, the region was extremely poor. Everyone was flooding the area to go work in the factories, like in Torino, in Fiat, or in the chocolate factory, the Nutella, the Ferrero. So nobody wanted to be a farmer. Things have changed today. So what you see today, you you have a richness, not just of things that you can touch, hotels and restaurants and wineries, but a richness in the people. People feel we're proud of what we do. We're proud of what we have. We're proud of saying we're farmers, we're winemakers. 40 years ago only, if you were a farmer, you could not even find a wife. Just to give you an idea. Yep. That's the story. <laughs> Yeah, that, that, that's very curious. Uh, okay, thank you for for this answer. Now, now it's more or less uh, clear. Uh, so, uh, my second question is that um, you, I know that you travel a lot before uh, taking control of the winery, and we have already uh, spoke about the Burgundy. But uh, which country, uh, except the Burgundy, has left the most imprint of you in terms of, you know, in terms of wine culture, in terms of uh, how things done in um, uh, in the wineries in in the world? So the other two regions where I focused uh, were the opposite of the old world. So I worked in California and uh, Australia. In Australia, I worked in the Mornington Peninsula, but where my heart is, is in California. I worked in a winery, um, I want to say today, quite famous. It's called Sine Qua Non. It's in Ojai, and the owners, Manfred and Elaine Krenkel, are my second family. And they started the winery from scratch. And I'm saying this, this is now 94, the first time I visited them and I worked with them. So... Winemakers that decided, I mean, wine lovers that decided to throw themselves into a wine project. And now this winery is one of the most famous California wineries or world famous wineries. And um, that has taught me that uh, with, uh, with, your, with your will, with your ideas, if you, with perseverance, you can achieve your dreams. So it's not just about um, being lucky because you need a, a dose of, of luck in life, but you also need to work hard. If you don't work hard and you just expect the luck to, to hit you and help you, you won't go far. So what I've learned from working in California, it was not just about, I mean, different varieties, of course, different climate, but it's more the, the, the personal um, 
help that uh, the, the personal thing that touched me, which was working with sine qua non. Yeah. Yeah, uh, I, I didn't know about it. So the work with Manfred, I think it's uh, yes. unbelievably good for the winemaker. And uh, by the way, next week here in Almaty, we have a vertical tasting of uh, Sinquanon. And uh, I'm waiting for it, like for a miracle. You know, we have a vintages, I think, from 2012 to, to, to 18. I don't remember now, but I, I'm waiting for it. So you are the happy person, actually. So and the and uh, you, you'll be amazed. It's amazing wine, amazing people. It's a whole trip when you taste those wines. Yes. And I I realize that you you receive a lot of philosophy from this place. But do you implement some uh, vineyard on winery techniques from California to to uh, to Barola area? Um, it's hard to compare because the climate and the vineyards are so different. Cellar wise, I can do tell you that. Um, uh, Manfred, if you ever get to know the man or visit the winery, is the most uh, organized man. I've, I've learned about organization, but not so much, uh, let's be honest, about techniques of winemaking because the varieties are too, too different. But the precision, the consistency, organization, Manfred played a big role in my brain because my dad is the opposite. My dad is a, a real Italian man, slightly disorganized, a little bit messy and confused. So I brought some organization here. Yeah. That, that, that's nice. I think that uh, Russian-speaking uh, countries, Russian-speaking community is very close to Italians. Slightly uh, like, uh, you know, like uh, let's do the things uh, tomorrow, not today. I think it's... Uh, we have something in common. But, uh, okay, we speak about the wine, but, uh, of course, Piemont is not only the wine. Piemont is also the food. And in uh, your different uh, interview, I read that you are very fond of a homemade uh, pasta. So could you please tell more about it? And, uh, of course, please don't forget about the wine component, about uh, wine pairing. So I'm definitely a carbo girl. I could not live without carbohydrates for sure. And uh, when you come to Piemonte, forget your diet. Oh, if you're vegetarian, you're struggle. If you're vegan, hmm, very hard. So we're in the place of uh, cheese, meat, and pasta. So uh, I grew up in a family where food is a priority. Your mom might ask you, my mom would ask us like the night before, what do you want to eat for lunch tomorrow? So all about food and my mom, every. Sunday still today makes handmade pasta which you could be gnocchi like last Sunday she made gnocchi so the potato dumplings she might make the tallarine which is the local pasta noodle egg noodles uh, the ravioli so the filled uh, pasta most of the pastas here are made with um, with eggs they're not semolina so they're not dry pasta but not just that they taste good itself but we accompany these Pasta is always with big, rich sauces like ragu or with cheeses. And of course, now it's truffle season. So imagine just a simple plate of egg noodle tallarine with some butter and a shave of truffle on top and a glass of Barolo. You're in heaven. You don't need anything else. And so the pastas are very versatile. But um, as Italians, when you think of wine, you think of food and vice versa. So when my mom cooks, she thinks of wine or when I bring wine on the table, she will do the pairing. So, and the wines we have, Barbera has acidity. So calls 
for food or a sauce that has a little bit more fat. Nebbiolo is tannins, so it calls for food that has a little bit of you know more power, more structure, so like a, a ragu or something richer. So we definitely have varieties that match well with our local food. Not just local food, but um, definitely with the pasta that I love. Yeah, I cannot give up carbohydrates. I'm sorry. That, that, that's a great answer. First of all, I, I think I will rename uh, you in my, um, uh, in my phone like a carbo girl. It's, it sounds fantastic. And, uh, and your answer uh, make me hungry because I'm very big fan of Tayarin and of course of Barola. But uh, again, you, uh, you mentioned about the truffle. So of course, uh, Langi is famous for, uh, for its truffles and absolutely everyone knows about it. But um, are there any underestimated products that, uh, should, uh, that we should find out and then uh, we should know about. For, for example, for me, when I visited uh, Barola for the second or the third time, I uh, I I find uh, the Robiola di Roccaverana cheese, and uh, it was absolutely fantastic. And now I'm trying to import it to Kazakhstan, and I uh, realize that uh, there are no very big producers of Robiola, so it's very difficult to find the uh, people with the certificates who can. Uh, who can uh, export it to, to different countries. So are there any other products, food products, which uh, we have to know, but which are not famous yet? Uh, not famous yet, but for sure cheese. As you say, uh, we're big cheese eaters here. Um, Piemonte used to be part of France, Savoy. So definitely cheese, good point. Um, I'm a big fan of the... Um, the, we don't eat beef here, but we usually eat veal, which to some people sounds scary, maybe that we eat baby cows, but our meat is very lean, so we eat a lot of raw meat, carne cruda, so it's like a, a tartare, which we just season with um, uh, oil, salt and pepper and maybe lemon, but so, so great meat because most of the farmers uh, here still grow, raise their cows organically. So great veal, uh, great nocciola, hazelnuts, uh, we are the capital of uh, nuts. Um, the here is where Nutella was created, so Nocciola. And crazy enough, too, Torino, the capital of our pro- uh, region, Piemonte, is the where the the most number of chocolate factories and chocolate laboratories are. So Torino, historically, probably because of the nuts, is the capital of Chocolato. So the chocolate from Piemonte is quite famous too. So, I mean, a lot of good things. No, no diets. We, we don't talk about dieting here, ever. No, 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 no. That, that's amazing. But, uh, you know, uh, if, you, if you speak about the nocciola, so I, I have one more question about food then. Uh, maybe it's a little bit uh, humorous, but uh, as, as you said, Nutella is a traditional speciality of the region. So is there any wine or other drink in Langia that, in your opinion, is uh, capable of making a worthy, nice pair for Nutella? I understand that, uh, you know, the chocolate or nuts are sometimes like unpaired with the wine at all. But maybe you, you can give us some advices from your experience. Uh, so we, we become, I'm a Nutella expert, by the way. Uh, Ferrero should call me to be an ambassador because of, I, eat, I eat so much of it. But I definitely think there's a pairing. It's Barolo Chinato. And I'm sure you've been here many times and you've had it. Barolo Chinato 
is a, a basically an old Barolo that has been infused with herbs uh, like uh, quinone, uh, cinnamon, uh, lemon zest, every winery, every family has their secret recipe and they add a little bit of sugar so it's not really a bitter, it's something between a bitter and the digestive but that pairs well with chocolates and any chocolates and Nutella as well. So I'm a big drinker of Kinato and there's some amazing Kinatos out here. I'm a fan of uh, Capellano. That's my favorite Barolo Kinato, by the way. Yeah, Barolo Kinato is um, a beautiful, uh, beautiful beverage, and it's uh, it's slowly, uh, for, for instance, in, for instance, in Kazakhstan, it's slowly become more and more popular, popular, but uh, still, it's it's not very famous. But um, uh, if we're going back to to the vine, to the vine making, uh, I have uh, one more question to you. You do not make uh, a single white wine, no white wines in your uh, portfolio. But uh, of course, I I think, I believe that you drink some, especially I think maybe white Burgundy. So my question is, uh, what is the most welcome white wine on your table? Is it from Piemont and Lange or is it outside or maybe you don't drink it? And uh, have you ever thought of starting produce uh, white wine uh, for yourself? And uh, if so, which one? And also, if you uh, if you spoke about the Barolo Kinata, uh, maybe you have a dream to produce some Barolo Kinata to to support the tradition. Oh, that's a lot of good questions. But uh, I don't have any vineyards that could be good for uh, to, to plant, and I don't have any vineyards that are already planted with whites. But my dad already answered the necessity of drinking a white wine. About 20 years ago, my dad started making wine in Cinque Terre, in Liguria. About three hours south from here, right on the coast, where the five little villages are, right above Toscana. So my dad makes uh, some uh, crazy indigenous, uh, grows some crazy indigenous grapes in Rio Maggiore. So he makes a little bit of uh, white wine there. But if I have to say what we love to drink at home, definitely, as you said, Chardonnay from Burgundy, and I have a number region number two that I love. I'm a huge fan of Wachau. I love Austria. Could be Riesling, could be Grunewald Cleaner, and you can drink some old wines and they're still stunning. I mean, you have Riesling or Grunewald that are 20, 30 years old and they're still acidic and fresh. I wish one day if I was ever gonna make a white, I would like to make a white wine with, with such a ageability so it's just amazing and they pair really well with our food because our food is so fat and the acidity just cuts through your palate but um i don't want to think of any new projects because we have so many going on in my winery so no barolo chinato but my dad makes the cinque terre yes and then a few years ago uh pushed by the necessity of uh, drinking champagne um he started making some um local spumante like uh, in the alta langa in the higher hills he planted some uh, again indigenous uh, white varieties and uh, he's making just for the family now some uh, spumante um the first vintage was pretty bad second vintage decent now we're on the third vintage it's better so yeah <laughs> that's uh we we have always something going on we're not worried of uh, running out of projects here that sounds absolutely fantastic, you know, because uh, when I graduate from my WCT diploma in uh, in uh, in Austria, I have uh, uh, I have the bottle uh, of Damen Wachau of old vintage from Achleiten Vineyard, 
uh, and uh, I, I think Achleiton Vineyard, and it uh, it was signed by Roman Horvat, and I I have this wine to open with somebody I think in ten years or maybe in fifteen years because for me the best white wine, uh, one of the best white wines in, in the world is uh, uh, Vahau, of course. So it's it's curious. I, I have to plan my trip to Barola and take uh, this bottle to maybe to drink together. Oh, and or we should all go to Wachau and celebrate. I have a lot of winemakers friends. <laughs> so it's a beautiful region. Yeah, yeah, that's great. So uh, let's uh, go back to some more technical questions because I think the sommeliers and other people who uh, will listen to us, uh, they are interested in. Uh, my, uh, you know, my one of the main, main questions to you is about uh, the... Uh, today's situation in the Barola zone. So what do you think about this division of the Barola zone into subzones and uh, MGAs? Uh, will, you, uh, will we ever see official Premier and Grand Cru vineyards in uh, um, like uh, soon or never, like the zones of Burgundy? Uh, and uh, what do you think about, uh, uh, about the Consorzio, how it works, uh, how is the situation in the region today, what will you, you know, would like to change or everything is excellent. So could you please uh, speak a little bit about it? Oh, that's a very, you're asking me some political qu uh, questions. Uh, do we have the president of the consortium listening? I have to be careful what I say. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> definitely, um, definitely, it's, we don't have, we were not smart, sorry, like the French 300 years ago to make the, to do the proper classification, Premier Cru, Grand Cru. And honestly, being Italians and being Crazy, I don't think that will ever happen. I mean, we all know within each other that a vineyard like Canubi is a Grand Cru. And for example, we have a family vineyard, Arborina. I have to be honest, I have to admit that's a Premier Cru. It's not an historic vineyard. So, but to put that on paper and have everyone agree, good luck, Artem. Not even in a thousand years. I don't think that will happen. <laughs> so I think we'll just stick to the... The districts and everybody will just have to be honest and tell the customers and the you know and the sommeliers out there with how they feel about the vineyards without trying to lie. That's that's what I'm thinking. But um, the consortium is helping is helping the winemakers. One thing I'm 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 hoping it won't happen to expand the region because there's um, there's some pressure of uh, of for pushing to open the borders and make more wine because Barolo in spite of the popularity, is a quite small area. So only, and take this only as a, a, a relative number, 14 million bottles were, were made in the past few years. And that's a small number. That's a number of like wineries like Moe Chandon might do in, I don't know, they bottled that, that in two weeks. I, I can't even picture it. So it's small. But there's a pressure of some winemakers, some wineries to expand. And I really hope that, that not to happen. Oh, who knows, you know, global warming, things are changing. And, you know, now we're planting vineyards where we used to have trees and woods because now it's warm and you can do that. So I'm not completely close minded, but I'm in this sense, but I, on this matter, but I'm, I want to be a little careful with, with like pushing to make more. I think Barolo should stay like a, a very a product that is special. We don't want to be a massive product. 
yeah, for everyone. I hope that answers Absolutely. the questions. I was trying to be super politically correct so I don't get fired from the consortium. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I think your answer is absolutely correct. But um, again, you know, uh, if if I remember correctly, the your area, like La Morra, is uh, more or less about four hundred hectares of uh, vineyards. So and um, yeah, definitely for me, this uh, uh, this size of the area of subzone is uh, perfect uh, to perfect for people who want to understand the terroir. And uh, for me, the northwestern part of Barola area is uh, the best. Of course, some a lot of sommeliers and wine professionals uh, will not agree with with me. But for me, the, like the real Barola is coming from Barola and La Morra and uh, northern vineyards, and especially in terms of uh, global warming so could you please tell about uh, this situation because i know that uh, you need to uh, to cut some vineyards and to uh, grow different varieties uh, due to global warming is it correct or not and uh, what, what is the future of la mora in terms of varieties well to cut vineyards because of global warming not yet but we, you do have to be um, careful and the management of the vineyards has changed through the years. I mean, right now we are so, uh, the impact that all these crazy events and wild events and random events that we have today that we didn't have in the past, uh, they're like really hitting hard on us. Like I remember my dad would say, Oh, in the past would only hail in summer. Now you can have a hailstorm in the middle of spring as well in the night, as well in the fall. So as farmers, there's nothing we can do but, you know, obviously protect our vineyards and to adjust ourselves. I mean, we can, do, we, can, we can do much else. We haven't gotten to the point that um, we, we have to change varieties or what we plant or what we plant, where and how. But uh, we just have to learn, for example, the, to de-leaf more, de-leaf less. Uh, the canopy management. So all these little things are details that you learn year by year, season by season. So it's not that there's a rule and every winemaker might give you a different answer. But I think the only thing I can say, we all have to be very with the, the eyes open, you know, and look at, at the signals, the signals of the weather, when it's, it's dry. So, you know, there's a lot of things happening. Like this year was super dry. We had a super hot summer a very dry harvest, but luckily the vines didn't suffer because the vines have very, the roots go very deep. So it was not an issue. So we learned with experience that you don't water your plants. Actually, it's not even legal here to water your plants when you plant a new vineyard because you have to train the roots to go deep. So you just learn by experience. And I'm sure the kids of my kids will know more than we do for sure. And who knows, maybe we'll plant, oh my God, we'll plant Cabernet here. I don't know. What are we, Pinot Noir? No, it's too humid here. I don't think we can, but who knows, maybe Cabernet. I don't know. Scary. Yeah, but uh, if, if, if I remember correctly, uh, you, you have this project uh, in Sieme and uh, with this project, maybe you, maybe some of the producers uh, produce wine from uh, Cabernet Sauvignon or not. Yeah, but I have three rows. It doesn't count. I probably have like a hundred plants. <laughs> it's not a, it's not really a massive um, uh, vineyard that I could use as um, an example of 
like of management. So my dad planted Syrah, Petit Verdot, and Cabernet Sauvignon back in the early 90s, actually 91. And um, I still have those vineyards, and we make this red wine, Linsieme, which is a wine project that we have together. That's what Linsieme means, with other winemakers. But um, it was done for fun. And uh, honestly, my dad, if you want to get a little funny detail, planted those vineyards where... I mean, he would have not planted Nebbiolo, Barbera, because it's kind of a bottom at the bottom of a hill where it's always humid. And the vines are doing fine, but they're not planted in the best spot because that's not my aim. I don't want to become the most famous Cabernet producer from La Morra. No, <laughs> not yet. Okay. I, I, I don't want to be like a snobbish person, but uh, for me, the Cabernet Sauvignon in uh, Lange Hills is uh, sounds like a nightmare. I, I have tried your Enciema project and the vines are very beautiful, but your Nebbiolos is way more better. And uh, in my opinion, and uh, in the, you know, it's like uh, 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 speaking about uh, this issue longer, uh, I know that there are three, I think three clones of Nebbiola, like uh, Lampia, Bolla and Miket, if, if I correct. Uh, so are there any, you know, in, any difference in, in the future to, to use these clones? So some, some is better or some is worse. And I also know that Luciana Sandron have uh, like fourth clone of it. Yeah. David Talin. So the, these are the three main clones that you mentioned. That, uh, but slowly through the years and through the decades, some of them have been abandoned because either too productive, uh, the Lampia or the Rosé abandoned because too light and too much acidity, not much structure. So most of us these days plant Mike. Um, and that's what we have in the vineyards. This is what you get from the nursery. But again, who knows in the future? Maybe we might mine go back but right now we're most most of us sticking to Mike. interesting with luciano sandrone yeah he, he got um what supposedly is an original different clone and he created a barolo out of that but i have a story to tell you about this um where we crush the grapes where we we crush in this stem we have a plant that start uh, a vine uh, a, a grapevine plant that started growing and it didn't grow out of a tree, a rootstock that we planted, but it's a plant that grew out of a seed that eventually came out of whatever the crushing machine. So this plant was tiny and small, and now this plant is about 20 years old, and it's almost like a tree. It's huge. It's crawling on the walls of the winery. And we always looked at this plant thinking, okay, it's interesting. I mean, it's a plant that it's with no... A pre-phylloxera, you know, American rootstock, and it's growing, doesn't get any diseases. And crazy enough, the berries that we get at harvest time, they don't look like Dolcetto, they don't look like Barbera, they don't look like Nebbiolo, they look like Cabernet. So we're, we were confused, and it's like, what is this? How did this plant grow? So we got the 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 grapes and the, the tree analyzed by the University of Torino, and crazy enough, we found out that it's 90% Nebbiolo, and there's a 10% of Pinot Noir. And we don't grow Pinot Noir. So somehow we have a plant that out of the blue grew by itself. And it's the it's the proof, it's the evidence that probably Nebbiolo and Pinot Noir are cousins. So now um, this is the first year actually that my dad made a little wine out of this, uh, what we always just called it like the fruit tree because it's like a giant tree. 
So we made some wine and we're going to taste, uh, test the wine as well and see what the lab says. But, uh, yeah, we, we created a monster, a monster clone. We'll see. We'll see. I'll tell you in the next interview what we come up with, <laughs> but it came out of the blue. Yeah. That's absolutely fantastic. So now I, I have to, to pack my luggage and go to the region to, to, to check it because it sounds like uh, the fifth clone of uh, Nebbiolo. And uh, uh, especially when it, uh, uh, when it comes with Pinot Noir, it's, uh, it's very, very interesting. So I have uh, a lot of uh, questions to, to, uh, to, to give you, but uh, we slowly run out of time. So probably the main or not the main, like the final question from me to you. I'm, I'm very curious about it. Uh, it's about one of your uh, other interviews. So I read that uh, every morning you write down plans for the day and uh, feel a great pleasure when these plans are fulfilled. So could you please tell me if you have, uh, I don't know, one or maybe like top three plans for life that have not yet been deleted from the list, which have to be done? Well, that's a difficult question. I'll have to kill you after I tell you because they're, they're a little secretive. But um, I think all of us as human beings, we have projects, we have plans and could be plans that you make with work, with your partner, with family. And um, I do have my list every day where I, you know, I just write the, the daily stuff. But I do have some major plans and I, I won't disclose all of them because then there won't be secret plans anymore but the main one that i can definitely say is that uh, out of the 10 hectares that we manage we basically own about eight and the other two sometimes i can even get to three i'm still renting so my wish is to be able to purchase these vineyards that we've been renting in order to be more stable with my production because the rents are not as long as my dad used to have so my dad's rents were 10 15 years old long 15 years long and now my rents are one year long maybe two years long and then the rent doesn't get renewed and i lose the vineyard and i gotta start over with another piece of land so i feel i'm always continuously running and researching for vineyards so what do i wish i just wish to be able to be stable with my production not to run and hurry and rush to find vineyards and um so i have two options I have to marry the richest men so I can have a lot of money to buy vineyards. But I married, and I didn't marry the richest men, so that option goes away. So I'm still working on the lottery option. If I win the lottery, then I'll be a millionaire, then I'll buy vineyards. But that's uh, <laughs> that's a silly way to say that you need a lot of money these days to, to put your hands on a good spot. So, But my dream is to be stable and have my own vineyards, 100%. Uh, Silvia, to speak with you is uh, is a it's a pleasure even more than I have visited you in in inside the Barola area inside your winery. So you are a fantastic, fantastic woman, fantastic personality. Uh, I wish you to to uh, to delete this dream not dream like the plan from uh, your list and also the final small question about your uh, like about your future about your baby i know that you have a small small baby so uh, what do you think you you uh, grow in a winemaker's family so would you like to give the same future for uh, uh, for your baby 
Uh, I grew up in a family where both me and my sister were never pushed to be in the business because being in wine, it's hard work. It's not just, you know, running, singing, singing, drinking, and being happy. No, it's hard work. It's physical. It's intense. You work 20 hours nonstop. You have to manage. You have to be, at the same time, a farmer, a sales rep, a winemaker, an accountant. So it's really a complete job that involves all your energy and time in time. And, um, honestly, it's not just about work. It's about passion. So what I'll teach about my daughter is she'll have to follow her passions and maybe I'll be able to transmit her the passion that we have. And because she's going to probably grow up here or maybe she'll be a chef or she'll be a surfer in California. I don't know, but, uh, I will not force her to be here. That's my dream. I want her to, to choose to be here if she wants to. Yeah. So it sounds like a great mother. I hope so. Ask me again when she's 17 and she screams at me. <laughs> no, I, I hope that uh, that uh, everything will will be very smooth in terms of the future. So thank you very much for your uh, answers. And I think we have to go back to Joy to maybe we have some uh, questions from her or from the auditory. Um, actually, hi there. Uh, that was a wonderful interview. And uh, um, any questions, guys? Anyway, so no, that's nobody right. asked. That's okay. If anybody does have questions, because sometimes people are nervous to uh, speak up right right when it's live. So if anybody does have questions, you're always welcome to send us an email at italianwinepodcast.com, and we will pass it along to Silvia or Artem. And, um, yeah, I think that's, that's it for this evening. I mean, if anybody wants to do one of these or knows of anyone who wants uh, an Italian wine lover or Italian wine ambassador um, who wants to be uh, on this show, uh, please go ahead and contact us through italianwinepodcast.com. Um, you can also hit up Laika, the um, clubhouse manager, on Instagram. And... Um, With that being said, uh, I see Stevie. Hey, Stevie. Are you there? I can see you. <laughs> I don't think she's going to say anything. Anyway, um, Artem, Sylvia, have a, a wonderful evening. I'm going to close up the room now. This was fun. Thank you. I yes. know. This was fun. Okay. It was a great pleasure. Yeah, it's, uh, I'm happy to be here. <laughs> wonderful. All right. So, everybody, have a good night, and we will see you next week. Uh, for another episode with Andre and um, we have Beatrice and Filippo Contini um, uh, from Capezzana. So awesome! We'll see you next week with that episode. Bye, bye. guys. Bye, guys. Bye. Bye, Listen to the Italian Wine Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. We're on SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Himalaya FM, and more. Don't forget to subscribe and rate the show. If you enjoy listening, please consider donating through italianwinepodcast.com. Any amount helps cover equipment, production, and publication costs. Until next time, cin cin. Hi 
everybody. Italian Wine Podcast celebrates its fourth anniversary this year, and we all love the great content they put out every day. Chin Chin with Italian Wine People has become a big part of our day, and the team in Verona needs to feel our love. Producing the show is not easy, folks. Hurting all those hosts, getting the interviews, dropping the clubhouse recordings, not to mention editing all the material. Let's give them a tangible fan hug with a contribution to all their costs. Head to ItalianWinePodcast.com and click donate to show your love.